Ag State of Mind, episode 69. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. proud member of the Global Ag Network. And today we are continuing our January series on diet and nutrition with my friend, Nicole Rodriguez. I'll start off and let everyone know that this episode ends rather abruptly. Uh, we had some issues with my rural internet connection that kind of wreaked havoc for us. So we had to restart our connection once, but then it finally shut off to, for good toward the end. So that's kind of the joys of podcasting with rural internet. So uh, Nicole is a registered dietitian from Long Island, New York, who is an incredible advocate for the beef industry. We talk about a lot of things, but uh, for a while, we really focus on advocacy in the beef industry and how we as producers have an important story to tell to help connect consumers with their food. Um, Then we shift it to talking about our relationship with food, how there are really no good or bad foods, just simply how really we should eat real foods and uh, enjoy the things that we enjoy, whether or not they may uh, or may not be something that are, is told to us to, that to something we should restrict ourselves. And then also to kind of stay away from these fad liquid diets and other things of that similar nature. So uh, Nicole and I originally connected over Twitter, but she has become one of my favorite follows on Instagram. So please go follow her, go check her out, go find her blog. Uh, you can find all that at enjoy food, enjoy life.com. And we'll, we'll, uh, link that in the show notes. So, all right, here I go with my friend, Nicole Rodriguez. All right, Nicole Rodriguez, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Yeah, of course. I mean, we were connected. I think it was through several people, Ryan Goodman, Brandy Buzzard. They all sent out a tweet. And not only they, but so many people recommend that I talk to on this January nutrition subject. And after like talking to you and following you on social media, I 100% can understand why. And I truly enjoy you. I think you do such an amazing job at what you do. And I just want to get you, give you uh, kind of the floor here to kind of tell your story and your background. And we'll go from there. Well, th- that means the world to me because one of my sort of like initiatives for 2020 and 2021 was to actually get to interact and get in front of more ranchers and producers and dive into that side of uh, my beef advocacy is, is is really what it is right so i am a i'm a second career dietitian spent a long time in the beauty industry until i just kind of felt as though my brain was going to rot and drip out of my ear if I had to talk about face cream any longer. And, <laughs> and not that it wasn't fun and glamorous at the times and international travel and all that great stuff, but um, ended up switching careers a little later in life. 
And as a second career dietitian or soon to be dietitian, I went to our annual state meeting for the New York State Dietetics Association. And they have this huge convention floor. So it's vendors from different supplement companies and all sorts of aspects of the food business. And there was this woman there at a table with all of this beef stuff. And she was just cute as a button and you could you could tell she when when someone is is sort of petite but you know she's nothing to mess with like there's strength strength behind there and i just said oh my goodness this woman's job is to talk about beef and loved meat and beef all my life kind of put that in the back of my head fast forward maybe three or four years later and I'm just starting out on my blog, and this woman reaches out to me, Cindy Chan Phillips, and it turns out that she is the dietitian at the time for New York State Beef Council. And she saw my blog, and imagine I have 300 followers or something on Instagram, and she invites me on this trip to come meet some producers and have this culinary immersive experience. So I'm First of all, I'm totally freaking out and she pretends to remember me, but clearly she doesn't and it's fine because <laughs> I get to sort of like geek out and spend three days with this woman and all of these big, huge Northeast food influencers, you know, and you're like, why am I in this room? But here I am. And, and it was really that trip really put me on to like feeling like these are my people having these converse and I don't mean the influencers no offense I mean the producers and ranchers that I met and having conversations about labels on our food and all of the misunderstandings within the general public about the food that they produce and from there I just said I think I want to do this MBA program and and see what this is about and ever since then I've just really been all about that advocacy because my love for America's favorite protein, right? Let's just call it what it is, um, has really been solidified by these immersive experiences with amazing people. So like having, having that connection to that food has just solidified uh my status as beef's biggest fan <laughs> and, and, and here we are and here we are having a having a conversation about it and it yeah blows, blows my mind sometimes so historically there have been many animal products that have gone sort of in and out of let's call it fashion with dietary guidelines and what certain scientific studies might be cherry picked mm -hmm. to say, right? And we know that one study doesn't determine doesn't determine everything. So I think misunderstandings about cholesterol, misunderstandings about what it means to eat healthfully to avoid certain diseases. I think there have been a lot of misunderstandings, and it it, it is a pretty fair assessment to say that over many points in time. Uh, nutrition has been been at odds mm -hmm. with beef, but I would argue really unnecessarily so, especially knowing how your industry has adapted and changed, not only from the environmental perspective, but really from the perspective of 
offering more lean cuts and doing it with fewer resources. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people don't realize that bit. And of course, we don't only want to preach eating lean beef because I want a fatty burger and a really marbled steak sure, sometimes, yeah. right? But there's there's so much that fits into so many meal patterns now. I was talking with somebody the other day and obviously price and and affordability is something that comes into it and nobody can eat can afford to I mean there are people but regular normal everyday people they can't afford to eat steak every day um so it is it's important to to understand like or, or nor should they eat it every day but to understand that these lean cuts are something that are can be affordable but also very healthy for us and it's it's getting better but i think for a long time people really missed the mark on that i absolutely agree and speaking to the point of affordability <clears throat> when we're weighing some of the other options i i think a lot of the big picture of beef kind of you you miss that right that's missed so there's a lot of talk about substituting let's have plant-based proteins instead of this meat. Like, oh, this is the better way to go. And uh, I'm definitely an advocate for consumption of whole plant foods, absolutely, sure. but not as a replacement because when we're looking at the, let's say we're looking at the protein value, for example, I'm sure we've all seen the infographic of how many cups of black beans would you have to eat to meet that protein requirement. You could, and you could fill that in with lentils. You could fill that in with basically, basically name one of those legume meat type substitutes. Right. And those are great foods, but those can be complementary to a meal that includes red meat and there's a satisfaction factor there as well that you might be missing with a food that maybe is less expensive and more fibrous but it's not going to give you that satisfaction factor i think that's what people don't understand is like i mean it's like i mean not to mix puns here be or mix food puns no, I guess, bring them, but, bring them. <laughs> you know it's, it's apples to oranges really i mean when you're talking about meat versus these legume bean type proteins i mean those are i think those are great and they're 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 necessary but it's not the same thing because i mean you're they're just it there's so much miss and i can't talk to it from from the dietary standpoint like you can but i i just definitely from the like satiation of it you're just not going to be satisfied with the same amount of calories of a cu know, how many ever cups of black beans than as you would as a three or four, even, you know, something as small as three or four ounces of a lean cut of beef or any sort of meat. I completely agree. And, and also speaking to that affordability standpoint, I think the more that conversation happens at sort of the upper socioeconomic echelon of society, this, oh, replace this and swap that out. I think we all need to be more cognizant about how that message sort of trickles down to people who could really benefit from the nutrition provided 
in say let's 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 name an inexpensive cut i get london broil sometimes dollar 99 a pound okay easy breezy and it's delicious sure. um what what people who could use that might be hearing and intuiting from hearing the wealthy say oh just replace this with that and and like it's fine i, I think we're missing the mark there as well and we're doing a disservice to people who could really benefit from that nutrition so i guess the i mean i guess the thing is what can we do as i mean what can we do as producers i mean i know telling our story and letting people know and you know being as transparent as possible but i mean what more can we do like from your standpoint to to do a better job of of reaching people and helping them get kind of through that misinformation something that I think is going to be really powerful in 2021 and moving forward is being really out and proud about that BQA certification. Because mm-hmm. I, I was recently asked about what are the labels that are important when I'm looking for a cut of beef in the grocery store. And as you know, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of these labeling programs, whether we're talking certified humane or non-GMO project, whatever the case may be, these are not, these are not free programs for anyone involved, right? So there is a hefty price tag for a producer to pay to get some of those labels. Whereas the, the BQA certification program, I know it's not, it's not free, but it is voluntary. And that program encompasses pretty much every consumer concern that was named in the latest data from 2020. It addresses environmental sustainability. It addresses animal welfare. It addresses the concept of food being safe, of being minimally processed. So, and and it's something I I barely knew about. I've I'm a top of the class MBA and I barely knew about BQA until I really knew about it until about a year ago, the ins and the outs. So I I think if there's a way to be a little bit more vocal about what that program entails, because you're not going to see that on my London broil, but knowing that 85% of producers are participants, I think that really speaks for itself in a lot of ways. I think that's really powerful. Well, I think something from the BQA standpoint that, I mean, I've found value in is like, I've learned so much and not just learn so much, but also uh, kind of like a self-justification in what I do is, is the right thing. Like, to be honest with you, I've changed very little of what I've done after becoming BQ- BQA certified. It was just things that were handed down and things that I learned from my dad and from my brothers and, um, you know, just a few like tweaks here and there of, of how, like, I think the biggest thing is like injection spot for vaccinations or uh, administering medicines, that sort of thing. That's one of the biggest changes I can remember, making sure we don't get into some of those cuts and put them into an area where they're not going to not going to affect the meat but that's i think but but other than that i really think there's so much that i that we were doing that was bqa certified already and you know it made me happy made me proud that we're doing something right it's just of it it's self-justified and and that's i think actually a quote in some of the bqa 
literature is that most ranchers participate because these protocols are what they simply view as the right thing to do anyway. So I know from who I've met that that's just how you all I know, I know there's always a bad apple here and there, but just knowing, there is, course, right? Yeah. Like knowing by and large, that's how you live your lives and run your businesses and keep animals happy and safe because that's who you are. And it also benefits your business. It's logical, right? Um, and I, I think there are a lot of people who I'm sure you follow on social who are doing a great job of putting faces on some of these different segments of animal agriculture but that's that takes time and it's already a very i think it's already a really busy (laughs) busy busy lifestyle that you lead so that's a challenge as well it's really challenging and you know and we were uh, i'll give you an example i mean before we got on here tonight we were getting ready to ship some calves to the sale barn and my sons and I were out sorting. We were, were keeping a few that we were going to feed for some people to process, you know, here locally. And to try to take a picture or a video while all that's going on. And, you know, you're trying, you know, it's muddy here. We've just, we've gotten rain and snow and that's all melting now. And it's a mess. And trying to navigate that kids and it it is hard but i do think that we need to make the efforts at least as best as we can and you know that's something i think and for me and i I know i'm not old but i am not as young as the younger generation like my son's age and i think it's that's something where they can add some value and he knows that he can, you know, he, he's very well versed at that sort of stuff. And he kind of bring that new generation, like just something else that they can add value to. Absolutely. And I I think that's something else that sort of gets lost is that I don't think everyone realizes all of the technological aspects of the work that you do and everything required to run these operations. And that's not to say that you have to showcase all of it, but there is an appropriate kind of measure of modernity there, right? Like you're right. You're yeah. not, you're not old McDonald. <laughs> there's a lot to, there's a <laughs> no, lot to keep up with there. You're a hundred percent right. And I think that's a big misconception for people. I remember when I went to, I went to college in St. Louis and people were dumb, almost dumbfounded that I had as much in common with them as I did, you know, them growing up urban and or suburban and me growing up very, very rurally on a farm on a, you know, a big cow calf operation. And, you know, we, we still listen to the same music. We still watch the same TV shows. And I think that's where we need to bridge that gap is to get people to understand that we're really not that different. I mean, it's maybe a different lifestyle, but I mean, on the most part, we're very similar. And and wouldn't just a little bit of that go a long way in general right now? 100%. That realization, yeah. oh that, that yeah. realization when, I, when I went to top of the class, I was the only non-industry person there, the only industry outsider, but... 
I sat and I hung out and it's like at the end of the day, I live in an urban environment. I'm sure my husband's a lot different than so-and-so's husband, but I'm, I'm a mom. I'm trying to feed a family on a budget. I, we all care for the environment, right? So there are all of these shared values. And I think the more we think about connecting on values, the better off we all are in being successful and bridging some of those gaps that seem so, so gaping at times. So I'm curious to that because, I mean, you're in the in a place where you live in America where, I mean, it's not what, obviously, what people think of when they think of someone who may be a huge industry advocate for the beef industry. I mean, you're, you're right outside New York City. You, you said you're a 45-minute train ride to Manhattan or, or whatever it is. I mean, close. So like, how, how are you perceived among the producers? That's, a, that's such a great question. And I don't, I, I don't want to make any kind of broad assumptions. I've definitely been places and producers were straight up like, what, like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Um, I went to a place called Thunderview Farms a couple of years ago. This gentleman had won the Environmental Stewardship Award of the year and he was amazing just yeah just amazing amazing guy and made this large contribution to improving the quality of the New York watershed which is an incredible story and so so anyway I wasn't even really there for that I was there to film a workout video for Northeast Beef and the New York Beef Council (laughs) And, 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 and I don't like try to, I'm, I'm not, I, I am not a producer, so I'm not showing up like trying to dress a certain way or anything like that. And, and definitely a couple of people on a tour of that facility were like, what are you, what are you doing here? And, and the liaison for Northeast Beef was like, hey, you know, this is Nicole and yeah, she lives down near New York City, but she's really passionate about telling your stories, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I could, I can see how anyone would think like, like, first of all, that's super weird in New York because it's a dairy state. Like, where right. does, you know, where does that even, where does that even come from? But I've had other encounters where people are just blown away that I am so, so passionate about it. And it's, I guess it's sort of an anomaly. And they're like, hey, that's like, that's cool. Who cares? So who cares where you're from? If you're, if you're down for us, you're down for us. Right. So it's, it's right. Nice. I mean, like, it's kind of nice too. I mean, I think it's, I think it's amazing because there are so few people who are like that. I mean, I shouldn't say that that's, that's a bad, that's a, that's not a good thing to say. Um, I know very few people like that though. And it's very refreshing to know that there's someone in your situation that is so passionate about it because we need that. I mean, we need that. I mean, we can try and try and tell our story and it's, it's great that we're doing that, but I mean, we need someone to, to help us. I mean, it's not, it, it, it's a two way game here. And I, I think having someone like yourself who is much more on the consumer side, but still can kind of bridge that gap between producer and consumer. I, that's, that, that that's really comforting to people on both sides of the, of the, of the food supply chain. And I, I feel we need more of it. And, mm-hmm. and I work to, I work to some extent to, 
not not to duplicate not to, not to duplicate myself but but to find other professionals who might you know might be game for allowing me to help foster some of that foster some of that interest as well and it's it's a challenging time right now because getting to the farm is such a is such a game changer getting out into operations and processing plants i mean to me all of all of those things i think are crucial and really getting that buy-in and having those aha moments and of course things being the way they are we're, we're unable to branch out and get more people onto those immersion experiences but i mean social the more we can do there i think i think helps and the more variety of ways we could bring the messaging out i think is sort of a fun game to play in a lot of ways as well yeah it really is i mean a fellow podcaster uh, we were i i was chatting with him today about you know what are like what's the next level you know how are we like how are you going to blow this up and make things you know what's the next like frontier with this and you know telling the story you know and we we're obviously the one thing we talk about is tiktok and that's the new thing like that's i think that's where it's going that's where people want to that's where people are going to want to see us and the people who don't you know, don't embrace that i feel like are going to be left behind and you know not always embracing these new things and always choosing to move forward with getting our message out there that's how we're going to evolve and that's how we're going to get better that's that's definitely a component but I think in a lot of ways, because of the current situation, we sort of have blinders on to anything that's not social media at the moment. It's so it's so yeah, it really feels. Isn't yes. that crazy? I know. You caught me. In. Yeah, and yeah. I, I feel that. I feel me. that stress. It's so silly, but I feel that stress of like, oh, what am I going to do for my next TikTok, and and you know how am I going to plan that out, so on and so forth, and all of that is amazing, but when when everything opens back up again there are going to be opportunities i hope for producers to get out in front of health professionals at their annual conventions and things like that because that's that's really powerful as well oh yeah absolutely i mean and you know look at me we were talking about we were talking about it before we started recording, like, you know, even though this pandemic has been a really long time, it's not really been in the grand scheme that long, but you, you caught me in it here, like thinking in that different, you know, different mindset of everything is, everything's got to be virtual and everything's got to be digital and it's not going to stay like that forever. And I mean, I'll take it one step further and people are going to crave that real life interaction and people are going to want, now that they, you know, now that they have seen the the supply chain disruption like we saw back in the spring and you know whatever it may be and how how easily things could get disrupted they're going to want to i feel like they're going to be hungry and, and craving that interaction with people down the line wherever it may be and 
I know people are, we had a UPS guy driver out here today and he's and was talking to us. He, he saw us, we were down working with the calves and he drove by to drop some stuff off and he stopped while we were working. He's like, I would love to come out here and just see what you guys do on the day to day and work with you and, you know, show my kids what they, what they do. And I mean, we're just a small cow calf operation in Missouri. I mean, imagine the, how many people could serve in that role and get real life experience to people? Because I really think they, they are craving that. Absolutely. I'm, I am, and I've been on a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different tours and I, I am just like jonesing so hard to go and get back out onto a cow calf or I would love to get into another processing plant, like anything, anything like that. And I had one potential opportunity a couple of months ago. There's actually a really small operation out here on Long Island and we keep trying to get it together. Like let's get a date on the calendar. And there was a terrible windstorm and I wasn't, uh, and, and he felt it, it wasn't a good day, but I think everyone's going to want to get out and see things with their own two eyes and have that that immersive experience where appropriate ends where possible. Um, but I think something else really positive that 2020 taught us is Americans love beef, right? Like there was, <laughs> there was, there was panic when it was unavailable and, I don't know who this quote is, if it's Dr. Sarah Place or if it's another dietitian. So sorry if I'm misquoting you, Dr. Place, but it's like we still have to pay attention to the trend lines and not the headlines. So kind of circling back to this conversation about going to plant-based alternatives and all of that chatter, like, like there is always going to be that little bit of chatter, but it's important to remember how small that population is as compared to everyone else who is is loving their beef still which is fantastic i always tell this story and carrie and i were at a concert one time in oklahoma uh, no we're in tulsa and something had been going on we had a long drive and i was telling i was expressing to her my concern of the future of the beef industry because there was like you said so much headlines around going away from eating meat. And this was before the the plant-based burgers were, were even really a thing. This was, you know, four or five years ago. And, you know, I talked to her about the, and it really bothered me. And it was something I was really, you know, not stressed, but it was definitely on the back of my mind. And we were sitting there and in this concert, this full, it was New Year's Eve in Tulsa and this full place and they had this barbecue place of all barbecued beef and that the line was just wrapped all the way around (laughs) and like i mean and she's like and she like looked at she's like so you you think this is gonna go away anytime soon and i said that's a good point like you know so i mean that's a really good thing to think of and i think it's something that really eases some minds is to like you say pay attention to what the actual trends are and not what the what what the chatter is about and and even from a different perspective uh, say like that that grocery end of the supply chain uh, there are so many facts and figures demonstrating that when beef is in a grocery cart the the overall ring of that basket right like what 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 goes in with that basket it's going to be 
more. The grocer is making more off of you when you buy beef because you're putting a whole bunch of other stuff in your cart too. It's just, it's just kind of the way it goes. So it's, it's beneficial in a lot of directions. And, and I just, that, that realization really helped me grow the past year or so as an advocate, because I went through that phase of activists commenting on my social media and, just things getting really contentious. And I think we all fall into that trap sometimes because it, like you're, you're human and, and I don't right. even have a horse in this race. I'm not a producer, but it just, it, it can be, it can be really upsetting. So, so keeping that in mind that these activists are maybe 2%, I think, I mean, vegans are something like 2.5% of the entire population. So these activists, as threatening as I understand they can be in real life in certain situations for you all on, on social media, it's like, they're not, they're generally just not worth your time. It's not worth the conversation and looking like looking at something like these plant-based alternatives. I don't know. I'm already seeing them on sale pretty frequently, which I don't (laughs) think, which I don't think bodes <laughs> very well. So, so there's that too. I think overall the picture is a, is a lot more positive than the chatter would have you thinking. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I feel like blessed to have that conversation with you to know that because it's hard to get that perspective sometimes when, especially when we are very secluded and very, yeah the information we get is through the internet and through major news outlets and their job is to sell headlines and sell papers and you know get people to read their websites so obviously they're going to go for the most sensational things and i don't blame them because that's what makes them money yeah but we can fall victim to that pretty, pretty hard. And I mean, I, I'll, I mean, I, I did it myself and I still sometimes do it. And I think it's really important to like really step back and like get a big picture. There are so many people in this world. There are so many people, not just in this world, but like in our, even in like surrounding communities that we don't even realize. I mean, there's a going to be a place for, for beef for a long time. There, there, there absolutely is. And just the, the fact that we're even having this conversation and that it has to go to this point of, you know, it always goes back to people debating the, I don't know, the ethics and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I just feel like we're so blessed to live here and that I can go to the grocery store and I have that choice pretty much every single day without even thinking about it, where much of the underdeveloped world, they don't have that. They don't have that option to get that nutrition. Like we're, we're, we're real, we're really, really lucky for all that it does for, for all the beef industry does not, not just for our nutrition, but the stats on what it contributes to the economy and everything else. So, I mean, I'll probably never be a producer, right? Like that's probably never going to be never my, say never. Never, say, never say never, but I don't know. It's like, if I could, it's like, if I could talk to everyone who has a hand in raising beef, I would just hope that you feel really good about yourselves because 
at the end of the day, like you're making such happy food. Like who's unhappy when they're eating beef? Right. Like it's a celebration food. It's your, it's your burger. It's yeah. It's always like, yeah, beef. It's never, Oh, I'm having beef tonight. That sucks. No, no one ever says that. Yeah. I mean, how do you celebrate? I mean, you know, uh, so many people like you, they go to an anniversary celebration and they go to a steakhouse and they have a steak and, you know, I mean, I know that's, that's how we do it at least. Um, And I, I know there's lots of people who do and, it's it's you're right i mean it's there is it's there's such a joy around it and that you know that makes that's 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 a really great perspective on it it's happy food i think the the best quote i heard out of ncba in colorado was that beef is where protein meets pleasure you can't and you can't top that Uh it's it's just it's that it's that eating experience so i think that's a fun thing to sort of i guess keep in mind when when things seem bleak, yeah because they're, they're not they're joyful right absolutely they are joyful so and i i want to i want to touch on this a bit because it is the first of the year and you've made posts about this on your social media and it's something that i i totally get on board with with how you view this and it's like there's these new year's rage on like trying to lose weight and trying to get that way fast and how I don't want to say dangerous because I think that might be, be uh, making it a little bit over dramatic, but I mean, it's it, sometimes it's just feel like it's setting up for failure. Yeah. I, I think any, anything that's a quick fix or is for a really finite amount of time should raise some red flags and like let's say a juice cleanse for example is there anything i i understand the desire behind that you know it's the beginning of january maybe you overdid it on sweets or booze or rich foods whatever the case may be and so I, th- I think a lot of people are in search of that feeling of quote unquote resetting and having a liquid diet seems like the quick fix. And you may have heard that Sally, you know, lost 10 pounds when she did it last January, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's not dangerous necessarily for three days, but it's just not going to get you anywhere because all of that really does is help you reestablish a binge and restrict cycle, right? What happens when you haven't eaten for three days? And everyone's experience is different, but but you're probably going to be pretty ravenous by time day four comes around. You've also likely depleted yourself of energy where, you know, maybe a more healthful pattern to start establishing is having energy for some kind of movement that you enjoy, whether it's strength training, yoga, running, whatever the case may be. So I I, I would just urge people to steer clear of the quick fix and, uh, and realize if those healthy habits are at the forefront, then your aesthetic goals are likely to follow, but it can't all, it, it, it can't start with that aesthetic goal. It can't start with, uh, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to have abs. Uh, okay, well, what are, what is it going to take to get there? Is it worth it? And can you sustain it? 
not for a week, but can you sustain this for years? And those are, those are the, the tough questions that I, I think we don't want to ask ourselves till we get a little older, right? <laughs> it's, it's not, that's not the right. sexy thing to be thinking about, um, I guess, when you're, when, you're, when you're 25 years old, but... <laughs> so it's, right, and it's exactly. wasted, all of that is yeah, wasted exactly. on uh, all the all the all of the wisdom is 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 later. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, I know. Like, I mean, there's so much. There's, but we get to it. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there, and it just. I, I wish I could. I mean, I wish I could go back and tell myself so many of the things when I was, even when I was 25 that I know now that I'm, I'm older and it's just incredible. Yeah, I'm here. The, the, the things that you thought were healthy or the things that you thought okay. were right when they really just aren't. That's, that's, that zoom. It'll, it'll get you once in a while. So, I mean, obviously some people and, or, you know, probably a lot of people do need to lose weight and to be healthier. I think we can all relate to that. But like, how do we get past that and like get past that like initial like want to get skinny so fast or get, lose weight so fast? Like, what? How does our mindset have to change when when we talk about that? When we when we're trying to avoid that kind of getting in that just vicious cycle? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. And just like we were talking about some of those value connections between kind of between between a rancher and a consumer and people being different and connecting on values uh, I, I think it really helps to before when you're setting some of these body composition goals lifestyle goals asking yourself what what values of mine will be served by these changes or what values of mine can I sort of weave into these, to these behavior changes? And when it becomes more of a question of, well, you know, how, what aspect of my life will improve if I take on or tackle this change as opposed to, well, I, I want to fit into jeans by March 1st. It's a really different conversation. And it's, and it's not that it's overnight, but if you don't love the process, then it's like that outcome, yeah. that outcome may never come. And you, will, and you will keep going back to square one. So I think it's also important right. to ask, well, have I tried something like this before? Or what was the outcome last time I did something restrictive? And nine times out of 10, that, that outcome is, oh, I'm back to where I started. Or in the case of some restrictive diets, I, I had an injury. Or, or it, it, can be that, it can be that severe. So I think you have to come back to your values when you're looking at your, your physical health because your mental health ties right into it as well. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that's why I think that's a big part of why I wanted to talk to not only you, but people like you in, in the kind of nutrition side of this is that those two things are so interconnected. And I realized that really early on when I started this podcast in, in that, you know, our health, I mean, I think really we shouldn't even discern between the two like we shouldn't differentiate between the two i mean mental health and physical health 
are, it should just be health, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those are all things, they should all just be intertwined because one, you know, affects the other so much. And when we start to realize that, when we start to, and I'll say this, I mean, the thing that helped my mental health so much is when I got better exercise, when I got more active, I mean, that's what, that's what changed it for me. And I started eating better and started paying attention to more of the things that I eat and I feel better. And so, I mean, it's all like it all just, it all comes together. It's just one great big circle and cycle. And if you take something out of that cycle, then it kind of disrupts the whole thing. Absolutely. And uh, of course it's those, those aesthetic changes are, sort of ancillary benefits, right? But there is something to to be said for okay, well I'm I'm making the change this change. Right, right. I feel better. Hey, you know what? I I'm starting to like a little bit more of how I look. Like I'm starting to see changes and you feel good and it's like everything kind of keeps going in this uh, cyclical fashion to to your benefit. But I I really think that only happens when, like you said, like, Hey, I was loving my exercise. When you're doing something that you love and you love that process, then, then you're going to, you're going to be successful. That's a huge component. And it has to be, it has to be an individualized approach. Like there is like, there's so much like nuance when it comes to health and it's it's something that has to work for you. I mean, what works for me, a hundred percent, will not necessarily work for you, and vice versa. I mean, it, there's so many f- factors in each person's life, and it has. To, and I think that's what we ha- what people have to understand is it's it's an indiv- it should be an individualized approach. That's why I'm always hesitant to label any food as, as healthy or not healthy. It's because of, it's because of that nuance. So, you know, one of my clients might tell you like, oh yeah, Nicole told me I have lucky charms today. Yeah, I did. Because you're, you're going to have a um, really serious strength training session. And I want you to have those fast acting carbs beforehand. And I know that's something you enjoy and you look forward to. Someone else might say, Oh my God, what your, you know, your dietitian trainer told you to have, um, you know, breakfast cereal pre-workout. Well, there's nuance. There's nuance to everything. I, I am a huge advocate for having dessert every night if you have a sweet tooth, because it's all about that preventing that binge and restrict cycle. Again, someone might say like, Ooh, but that's, that sounds a little crazy coming from uh, your dietitian. But again, there's nuance and there's individual, you know, preferences and the way people work and everything else, all of that factors in. But I, but I truly believe that if you love a food, there is room for it in your lifestyle. I don't think there's, there's anything you should put a hard no on. Yeah. If you, yeah, absolutely. If, if you enjoy a food, like I couldn't think of a worse way to approach it than like, if there's a food that you love and someone tells you, you can't have it. Like, I mean, I, I love food so much. And I talk about this with so many people, our family loves food and so many families love food. I mean, it's a huge deal. And like, if uh, our boy is, for example, like 
Carrie makes this, this, it's a, it's a new year's tradition. She makes this trifle with, I can't, I don't even know what's all in it. And uh, it's just, I mean, a lot of people would look at me and say, Oh, that's an unhealthy food. But, I mean, if it brings us joy, if it brings us like a family, all of us together and it, we enjoy it that much. How could that be? How could that be unhealthy for us? I mean, I get that. Oh, we probably shouldn't eat it every day. I mean, I understand that a hundred percent, but like to label that as an unhealthy food. I mean, no, I mean, I, we love it. Like we, that's, that's a huge part in our boys. Like we, she, they request it and it's something they look forward to. And it's something that we come, we bond together as a family. And I just, I love that. And, and no one, should get to tell you like, oh, that's, you know, that's unhealthy. You shouldn't be eating that, whether it's your doctor or your dietitian, you know, of course, you know, there's nuance there, but nine times out of 10, I I think anyone worth their salt is going to say, no, we could, we could fit that in there. Like, that's cool. That's, (laughs) did she put pudding in it? I love a good trifle, man. I haven't made a, I haven't made a trifle in forever. Isn't that terrible? I don't, I always joke with everybody. I'm like, I'm not really a cooker. I'm just more. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the details. It's just good. And I'm lucky. It's great. (laughs) It's just good. I don't care. (laughs) Give me more of that. Love it. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.